Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. I am Dave Dunning. I'm coming to you after our friendly win against some German team. Karlsruhe. Karlsruhe. Okay, sounds like a German porn star. Um, We win 4-2. I've got Andy Bell. I've got no one else because they all fucked off on us. And Andy got blocked last night and his Wi-Fi didn't work. Yeah. So it's just the two of us with loads to talk about Andy and we're going to kick off with the very confusing <clears throat> controversial contentious subject of the the Jordan Henderson transfer to Al Kaifia or whatever the, oh, I don't know what they're called I don't care yeah. um, it's <clears throat> I think the first thing to say is there is this weird anti-Jordan Henderson Liverpool fan base cult that goes on that for some reason um, I've absolutely no time for the man as a player, as a human being or whatever. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to name Jay Reid in particular or anything. No, and you know what? He is actually least of the offenders. There are far worse than him. There really are. Yeah. You know, some, some terrible, terrible people out there. Um and Jordan Henderson has literally been a beacon of humanity, especially over the last kind of three or four years. Um, not just with Liverpool, but also with the England national team. And I think the first thing that we need to discuss is how he, in his right mind, with the conscience that he has and the equality that he has championed for both women's rights lbt lbt i caught him actually a little bit drunk lgbt lbt gq plus rights and he has decided to go to play for a club in a country that is essentially stands opposed to all of those things and it doesn't, it doesn't actually make sense to me. So I don't know where, where, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're right in in everything you say. Jordan Henderson's gone literally well, well, well above and beyond as the Liverpool captain, as the England captain, to highlight these issues, to tackle these issues. He's been absolutely brilliant in in everything he's done. Conducted himself so so well. Helped. A lot of people was, by all accounts, until what we know recently, a, a really strong ally, as they say. Um, he he was seen as like the captain of the captains. So everything that the captains did or they did together, it was Henderson supposedly leading them. I know it's off topic, but I think when it was the uh, something to do with the NHS, when they were donating, donating money or they were taking a pay cut, weren't they, some of the captains? Henderson, it was supposedly who had led that. He seems to be the, the chair of the captains. And yeah, just above and beyond. And I think, you know, all that's all that's happened is that we've we've seen that unfortunately all that can be can be bought and it can come at a price and these Saudis are quadrupling I think is take home pay I'm pretty sure there's 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 virtually no taxation over there certainly yeah. and people who earn that much money and 
it's it's just come at a price for him. And I don't actually know where I stand on it. I know this isn't going to be great for a podcast, but initially my thoughts were, well, even though he sold out, he still didn't have to do any of that stuff. And he did. And he still, you know, he, he still went above and beyond when he when he didn't have to. And I was looking at sort of players in our team. I don't need to name them in particular, but our Brazilian lads pretty much, certainly in the first election, I think we shut them up for the second one, all came out very supportive of the fascist, right-wing, dreadful misogynist that was Bolsonaro in Brazil. And we had three lads who came out and did that. Now, there were people on Twitter who were upset and who called them out, and rightly so, but it seemed like it was more a case of, okay, we can separate the art from the artist here. Essentially, the, the majority of the fan base basically turned the blind eye to it. Absolutely. And you look at someone like Firmino, don't get me wrong, I'm, I guess, hypocritical because I think my politics and your politics are very similar. We're both quite left-wing. Um we both, you know, hate the conservative government in this country. We both you know, have similar views on immigration and stuff that we've talked about pre-podcast. But did I let that get in the way of my love for Firmino and Alison and Fabinho? To be honest, no, I didn't. I was able to separate the art from the artist. But it sort of just didn't sit right with me that Firmino gets this amazing big send-off. Okay, I don't think we knew he was going to Saudi Arabia, but I don't think it would have affected anything that, that was given to him as he went. We give him this massive big send-off, see Senor ringing around Anfield for the final 10 games ever since we knew he was going. And he gets to go away to Saudi Arabia, get all this money, while having done absolutely nothing for the LGBT community, having not spoken up, having been completely silent on all these issues, and actually actively supported somebody in his country for whom the LGBT community of Brazil, I assume, given the the, the nature of the man, are, are massively affected by and massively discriminated by and then jordan henderson who to me is just someone who has weak principles because it's been brought out bought out is is under so much more scrutiny and that just didn't seem fair to me and i, I tweeted it and i got a bit of kickback from people and, and basically the argument is that especially for the queer community it's it's a, like a different kick in the balls. It's a different type of pain for someone you thought was supportive, you thought was an ally, and then it turns out they're not. They're not that person. It's just. It's almost like cruel because it, it, because it they can feel like it can feel like a stab in the back. And I think so, and I can completely understand that. And you know, in their mind, and I I don't actually quite stand by this. They you know they think he's made himself out to be someone that he wasn't. I th- I still think he probably actually is that person. He probably does have those principles. It just all came at a price, which is per. I'd like to think in the same situation I wouldn't do it. Um, but where I think me and you probably will agree, and where we fall down on all these issues is we can weigh up the the pros and cons. We can compare them with as many players as we like, but. Ultimately, as a straight white man who doesn't really have to uh, endure any prejudice or any discrimination in terms of like protected characteristics, I think I just have to say, hold my hands up and say, even if I can't quite understand it, it's it's the people, it, it is the LGBT community that ultimately make the decision on uh, on what is moral and on what is right. Um, and they seem to they, they seem to think that Henderson should be held to a higher standard than those. So I can't really argue with it ultimately. Yeah, and it, it's it's absolutely fair. Um, I think the thing that 
it's a really strange dilemma. Um, it's almost a bit of a dichotomy here that we're, we're looking at that Jordan Henderson is being held to a higher standard than some of these other players because he actively tried to advance equality. Yeah. So I understand that the hypocrisy label will be thrown at him, and rightly so. But ultimately, what we're also saying in the same token is that it would have been better if he had have just done nothing. Yeah. Which I don't think is what people really want either. No. You know? So it's it's a very, very difficult situation to try and square with yourself. Yeah. Is he is he worse than Fabinho or Firmino or Benzema? Um or is he better than them because mm. he actually made an attempt to make a difference? Yeah, when he had the and still did make a show. difference. It doesn't reverse everything that he's done. I, I just want to, I, I just want to uh, quickly throw in something that actually, I'm, and I'm quite literally stealing this from the words of Neil Atkinson, um, where he he was talking about, and you know, in terms of the politics, I think this is possibly again where there is actually you need to distinguish between the Henderson situation and, for example, the Firmino situation. Um, and I'm, I'm going to literally use the analogy that he used. He says, you know, I, I'm in favor of progressive taxation. I want, you know, I want more pro- progressive taxation in this country. I think me and you're on the same page in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that's absolutely fine. And that's that's politics. But the way that LGBTQ people and women are treated in Saudi Arabia isn't politics. It's just decency. And it, it's the way they're treated is fundamentally indecent and, and wrong and not right. Potentially to yeah. the point where it's inhumane. And yeah, 100%, I would say. So, yeah, I understand that. There is still this naive part of me that hopes that Jordan Henderson has specifically taken that transfer decision with the intention of going over there and trying to make the same difference in that country. And if that is the case, that would bring a sense of pride to me. Mm. It's very unlikely that that is the situation. The other side of the coin here, Andy, is that, and this is the thing that does kind of grind with me a little bit, um, there are, there is a significant percentage of, of Jordan Henderson detractors that have been there for the last 10 years and have refused to change their mind on the man um, no matter what, no matter no matter what he does on the pitch, off the pitch, whatever, they will always find the YouTube clips or the five-second reels um, to diminish his contribution to Liverpool Football Club. Mm-hmm. And they are now using this as another stick to beat him with, which is fundamentally wrong because I'm not sure that, you know, I think that's disingenuous for a start. Um, but if we want to set all of the politics and morality aside. It's, do you know what it's like? It's like right-wing people who all of a sudden care about gay rights when it, they can stick the knife into Islam. This is what it's like. These people have, have no interest in this whatsoever. It's just a stick to beat Anderson with. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the two things need to be separated. 
I'm not happy about it. I'm disappointed, massively disappointed. I almost feel like personally a little personally let down by this decision. Um, and I am, as you know, one of the biggest Jordan Henderson defenders yeah. around, and I simply cannot defend this decision unless the minute chance that what I said earlier on transpires is the case. But if you look at the, the player's legacy, it is seen by quite a significant population of the fan base that we won all of these things despite Jordan Henderson. Yeah, it's it's crazy, isn't it? I think we were having a conversation the other night as well. You know, he's... I do ultimately think... and. Uh, People went very, very hard on Henderson when he first came in, especially. And I think people had the same sort of thing with Lalana. People judged Lalana. They went early and they weren't able to to make up their mind. Now, when Joel Maddip came in to, first came into Liverpool, I could not stick him. I thought that he was getting far too much praise just because he wasn't Lovren. And he was actually responsible for as many of the goals, as much of the defensive chaos. He didn't improve any of our, our, our defensive numbers at the time. Okay, he looked all right on the ball, but like he was never available, and for me, was as bad as as how Lovren was at the time. And I I didn't want him anywhere near the team. I couldn't believe he was getting selected, and this, that, and the other. And as far as I was concerned, I was done with Joel Matip. I now, for me, Joel Matip is in the Liverpool, the best Liverpool team I've ever watched in my lifetime. If like individual selecting player, he's with Van Dijk. I think he's be- I think he's better than than Carragher, and he's better than Hippy. The level he reached from like the second half of the Madrid season right the way through. And it's okay to just say, well, whether I was wrong or, you know, whether I'd gone too early in judging him, it's all right to say. I messed that one up. There are people incapable of of saying or admitting that they're wrong. Therefore, I I think what it's called is um, Trumpism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, uh, you know, me and you have, me and you have, have been very vocally critical of Darwin Nunez, but at the same time, if Darwin Nunez goes to score 30 goals next season for his league title, me and you will be the first to, to eat our humble pie proudly. I want I think, to be wrong. Absolutely, but I, I feel like these the people difference. don't. I, I want like, to be wrong. They don't these want to people be wrong. Don't, these people don't. And, you know, he came in, he, he struggled at the start, but it was the second half of 12-13, I think, where he really came into his own um, in that Rogers midfield. Um, was that, have I got the, the date wrong no, there? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, second, second half of 12 13, and then 13 14, he was absolutely amazing. One of our best players, you know, people can argue possibly one of the reasons we didn't win the league because he wasn't available for that Chelsea game. Andy, I will say that the, the red card at the end, at the very end of the, of the Manchester City game, that is the reason that Liverpool don't win the league that year. Yeah, I, I can understand that. We'll, we'll knock it into it, but uh, funny enough, I saw, I saw a thing that. That season, Rogers was actually bringing the players' families uh, in like one at a time before a match to give like a speech and give some inspiration. And before that one, he brought in Henderson's dad. Um, and Henderson's dad had done a thing, and apparently Henderson was just so fired up, and that that ultimately could have been, you know, part of what led him to to hammering into that that tackle. And it was a red card, actually, when you look back on it, it definitely was. And yeah, he's he, he's come in. He's, he's you know, for me. In that, I think it was in the Kiev season, or maybe the season before Kiev, where he's playing the number six, and I thought he was sensational in that position. And like when Fabinho came in, it was almost like, are we going to play Fabinho in the eight because we can't really move Henderson away from where he's playing right now? He was so good and just exactly the type of player that I love to watch. I love, 
I love Jordan Henderson and I hate Emery Chan. And it's not that one was like, Henderson was significantly better than him. And you could actually argue Emery Chan probably had more talent on the ball. He had more talent and more technical ability. But Emery Chan did this thing where it was vanity touches. It was six touches to get it in the right position and do the right thing. Henderson was just bang, bang, first touch, keep it moving. He did everything quickly. He epitomized everything that was brilliant about that, that Jurgen side on the ball as much as off it. And he gave us so, so much off it. And then he ends up having to move into the eight when Fabinho comes in because we signed the best number six in the world at the time. And for me, is the best player in the Premier League in 2020 when we win the league. I, he wins I, the year, doesn't he? Well, he, I think De Bruyne beats him to the fan or the players' vote, but I think he wins the writers' wins vote. Writers' player of the year, yeah. And you know, I think that's just endemic of high football fans are a little bit biased towards what looks easy in the eye. Kevin De Bruyne is a sensational player. Listen, he's in the he's in the best Premier League all-time eleven, as far as I'm concerned. One of the, one of the best players ever to play the game. That's Absolutely, not from that, and he's you know. he's a he's a joy to watch. And you know, I feel like if every Liverpool fan, and I'm pretty sure no Liverpool fan actually hits the guy, and he's he's you know he's been he's been actually he's been central to possibly us not winning two or three extra league titles and literally nobody hits him. I think he's brilliant, but he's easy on the eye. Whereas I actually thought Henderson was just so effective in every single bloody game that season. He, he was just so, so good. And yes, he has tailed off. Yes, the legs have gone a little bit. Yes, he's um, 33 years of age. Yes, he's 33 years of age. What do you expect, age. lads? Do you should, know? He, should he have got a five-year contract on 200 grand a week? Possibly not. Although I was absolutely raging when it looked like we might sell him after the COVID season. So... That's hindsight on my part as well. Um, but in terms of the people that that that, that can't see, that, that genuinely don't think he was a good player for Liverpool, I, I can't even begin to 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 argue with it because there's no basis, there's no common ground. It's just such a dim take, as far as I can see. You know, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be your favorite player. You don't have to think he was brilliant at absolutely everything. He wasn't. He was never the best technical player on the pitch. He's not going to be the best technical player on the pitch when he goes to Saudi Arabia either. He's one of those that gets the best of the players around him. And, you know, I think that clip of Steve Nichol and Julian Laurence has gone around this week where Laurence uh, basically starts trying to mock him. And and, and Steve Nichol doesn't talk sense an awful lot, but what he did say was basically it, it requires all sorts. It's, it requires all sorts of different players. It's not just the De Bruyne's. It's not just the Van Dyke's. It's not just those that stand out. Um, it's the ones that hold the, you know, hold the standards and keep things taken over every day in the training pitch, um, and also just keep things together on the pitch and, you know, it's in terms of a captaincy, uh, purely on the pitch and forgetting what's come up in the last couple of weeks. I think, you know, easily one of the best captains we've ever had. Yeah, I think just to finish this off, um, you know, I, I just don't understand why people can't identify with him more because, you know, he is the working class hero. Yeah. He is the guy that that squeezed every ounce of every ounce out of his talent that he possibly could. And the other thing is, and I've said this for a long time, um, well, I remember when Klopp actually signed, or Klopp signed Liverpool, I remember thinking to myself, he is going to fucking love Jordan Henderson. Yeah. He is going to love Jordan Henderson. And if you think Jordan Henderson's that bad, what you're actually also saying is that the manager doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Every manager that's ever... You know, any England manager, Doug Leash, Rodgers. And, and you can say that Gareth Southgate doesn't know what he's talking about. You can say that, that Brendan Rodgers doesn't know what yeah. he's talking about. That's fine. But you're telling me Jurgen Klopp doesn't know what he's talking about. And, you know, that that's where you are. 
And if that's your take, that's absolutely fine. I think it does. It does delve into the the absolute ridiculousness of almost, as you say, conspiracy theories and Trumpianism. If at this point, you know, absolutely fine. If you want to, if you want to scream at him every week and abuse him on Twitter for his performances last season, there's probably a fair body of evidence to 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 support that because he he wasn't good last season. Neither was anyone, but he wasn't good last season. He wasn't even particularly good in the in the in the quadruple season. I thought really, I thought we were carrying him a couple of times, especially around sort of January February. Um, but he keeps getting selected, and you know that's absolutely fine. If you want to abuse him, to the cows come home for how he's uh, for his performances in the last two years, you'll find some evidence to do it. If you're telling me from 2018 to 2020 that Jordan Henderson wasn't an effective, an extremely effective player for Liverpool, it's it's border everything in football's opinion, but I think that borders on just fact. You know, yeah. certain things are just factual. If you listen to the likes of you know. Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, Wayne Rooney talk about that United team. Yeah. There are a couple of players that I always mention, and it's not Ryan Giggs, and it's no. not Ronaldo, and it's not Berbatov or Ferdinand or Vidic. Yeah. It's Park Chi Sung. Yeah. And it's Darren Fletcher. Darren Fletcher, yeah. And these are the guys that they always refer to as they were the people that allowed us to go and play. They were the right. dependable ones that did all the dirty work, all the horrible stuff they never got any praise for and they were always ridiculed for their limitations but we knew the value of those guys and i think that's what players see in jordan henderson because we've heard them all say it yeah managers see in jordan henderson because they've heard them all say it and that fans can't see so listen i I think just just on one final point as well i think we mean you definitely get annoyed about the, the punditry and the media uh, coverage of football in this country. And for me, I do think that people who aren't particularly intelligent, who played the game off instinct and never actually understood the tactical nuances, do focus too much on your Roy King nonsense of hammer and blood, sweat, tears, 100% effort. They do focus on that too much. But I think that in order to try and counteract that, people have gone the other way where they don't even, you know, they don't pay any attention to the intangibles, the likes of the things Jordan Henderson does. And the reality is there's a middle ground. It's not just 11 technically brilliant footballers, you know, the old Shankly quote about the, the playing the piano and carrying the piano. And it's not, that's all the game is either, as some of the people in the media try to try to say. And there's just that middle ground where intangibles help, but you also need good footballers, people who understand the game and managers who are intelligent. Um, and yeah, I, I, I sort of feel like that plays into the narrative around Henderson, especially on like Twitter and stuff. Yeah, I, listen, ultimately for, for the last 10 years, he's always been a divisive player. And I, the only thing that I can say on the back of this is that I hope and I pray that this element of the fan base does not find another player. And I'm specifically talking about Curtis Curtis Jones Jones. here, that they continue to try and confirm their initial belief of this player. Um, And maybe, you know, this bizarre concept that if you encourage people and believe in them and, you know, give them a little bit of incentive that they might become a slightly better version of themselves instead of shouting shite at players like Jordan Henderson or Marcus Rashford or Bakayi Saka, for that matter, on social media. Because let me tell you, folks, that's not going to make them a better footballer. No. So listen, Andy, let's take it to 
I think a similar case, to be honest, but someone who has been viewed in a very different, through a very different lens, which is Fabinho, um, came in, and this is going to be really controversial, what I'm going to say here, but I reckon Fabinho's been here five years and he's probably only been good for half of that time. Yeah, I, I would attribute a little bit more, but I see where you're coming from. So, first six months, he's absolutely yeah, he nowhere. Is, yeah. I remember the game away at the Emirates, and he was so out of his depth. Yeah, it was I remember that. Embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and then after that, the next probably two and a half years, he is the best six in the world. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he wins everything, and he just wins everything. It's like that little. It's like how the how did he get that? The little toe, the little reach. We can talk about the games. We can talk about Liverpool 4, Barcelona 0. One of the best defensive midfield performances you'll ever see. And the he's wrong... booked in like four minutes in that game as well. Rid- and, ridic- and ridiculously. Yeah. But I even remember the run towards the end of the game where he beats a couple and he absolutely buys a foul just over yeah. the halfway line. Yeah. Leaps over somebody's leg, wins the free kick. And I'm like, bitch. You are absolutely elite, world class. Yeah. And people have said that Fabinho's form, it's only been like the last year. And I know we've talked about this a lot. But for the season before that and early on in the season before that, I was constantly questioning, how is he getting away with no criticism at all? Ultimately, that's my take on it. Yours might be different and I'd be interested to hear it, but I think this this is a very sensible time for me to shift this player. Similarly to Mane, it's a very sensible time to shift this player and transition on. The only thing that concerns me is that we had succession planned for Mane in, in Luis Diaz and also had Jota there who could fill that left-hand side role. This has come a little bit out of the blue for what Liverpool kind of plan in the very strategic manner. This isn't something they've planned for. So I'm really interested to know where we go from here because we're, we're short now. Very short. Um, we'll come on to talk about the friendly, but the first thing you do in pre-season after you've had a look at what the starting team is, you start you have a look at the subs and you start to piece the second half team together. And all I could think about was, I hope one of these young lads that I've never heard of on the bench here can play midfield because I've no idea who on earth is playing midfield next to Alexis McAllister second half. And that was given that our midfield in the first half was Trent Alexander-Arnold, who we don't think is going to play there, Bobby Clark, who hasn't got a future at Liverpool, and Dominic Sabosley, who's just come in. So... Yes, we have a couple of players to come back, um, but nowhere near enough. So, yeah, it's, it, that that was that just sort of struck me in terms of the numbers, the numbers question at the moment. You're right in in terms of the succession plan and Gakpo uh, as well. With with Firmino leaving, is is signed six months in advance. Where exactly he's going to play? We're we're not entirely sure. I'm sure. Where do you think? Gakpo. Yeah. Gakpo will play where he's played. You think he's sent it forward? Yeah. Do you not think Jota might play there? Nope. I'd like to agree with you. And I love Gakpo in that role. But I think he's gonna he is gonna try and do something with him on the left of the midfield. 
Okay, well, we can come on to that. And we can come on to talk about that, and maybe not even on, on this one, um, if we don't have the time. But yeah, Fabinho, it was just... I think the thing that always went against him when he was slightly off it or when the team was slightly off it is because he's that type of player, the way he plays, always on the edge, where if it goes slightly wrong, he looks an absolute tube. And at the Emirates, he looked an absolute tube. And last season, when you're diving in, it's so obvious. Like Other players can get away with it. If you're a centre half, he's just lacking a little bit of pace and somebody outruns you. You can sort of get away with that without looking like you're massively at the scene of the crime. If Fabinho misses a tackle, he's out of the game and there's four lads running past him. And he's never been the quickest and he's never been the quickest in the turn. It's the other thing. Um, it's all about James Milner throwing a fucking yellow card tackle in midfield, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 you know, the one of the worst performances I've ever seen is when James Milner comes on at Goodison last year. <laughs> like Fabinho just looks like that in uh, if his if his if if his game's off it, and yeah, as I say, he, when he first came in, it was similar to Robertson actually. And it shocks you that mm-hmm. like those those two players were like embodiments of the the monsters of physical fitness that these Jurgen Klopp players ended up being, but both of them actually took six months to get fit and to fit yeah. into the system. Um, and it was just a fitness issue at the start, and then just just the levels it was at. Yeah, at that time, you could have genuinely said that Allison, Trent, Virgil, Robertson, Salah, Mane, maybe even Firmino, were the best in their position in the world, and Fabinho was the best in his position in the world. Um, and and you know, he, people people rated him when he was at Monaco. People people knew he was a good player, but he wasn't world class. And it's another one of those things where we bring in a player who's about to explode. Whether they're about to explode anywhere, we make them world class. It happens. Um, and it was just such a typical... bring him in at, what, 24? Isn't that right? Yeah, 23, 24. He's something like that. Um, and then everyone said he can play right back and can take penalties. He didn't play right back once and he missed a penalty in a preseason game and then barely ever took one. Well, he did actually in the end and he last season started taking them uh, <laughs> when Salah was off the pitch. And, and, and he did Penenka that one in the, 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 the did, League Cup yeah, final. Yeah, Jesus, remember that. I was raging on yeah. I was, in the, I was in the ground that day. Never seen Liverpool lift a trophy in my life. Um, and he's doing that. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting your point in the succession planning because we have to take advantage of these Saudi clubs and the money they're paying because if not, we'll just get left behind. So like Koulibaly going to Saudi Arabia, 32 years old, a couple of years left in his contract for like 70 million, was it? You know, these they're they're paying double, triple the amount of money that is the actual market value of these players as of the last two or three years in Europe. And we're not getting 40 million from anyone. We're not getting 20 million for anyone. He's, at not, this point. he's, not, he's not worth 40 million. He's not worth 40 million. So we have to take advantage of it. And the, the problem with that is if they're paying silly money and they can pretty much turn anyone's heads, as we've just talked about, with the money they're paying. Unfortunately, there's no way you're going to be able to succession plan for it. You're just going to need to take advantage of the money they're playing and piece your team together after it. And that's what we're ultimately going to have to do with uh, with Fabinho. We're just going to have to take this forty million, accept that we're getting a good deal. But holy shit, we've not actually we've not actually planned for this, and we've no actually idea what we're doing. And I think you could get like a really disjointed and pieced together start to the season for a lot of teams here in this situation. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't want to labour on Fabinho because we talked far too long about Jordan Henderson. So, yeah, he was great, and then he wasn't. 
and then he was really bad and then he got better. But ultimately, what we saw at the end of last season, and I, oh, I've heard this, oh, if we can get some legs around him. If you play for Liverpool and you want to win the Premier League, you shouldn't you shouldn't be a player that needs that needs legs around you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that that's that's not a luxury that we can afford. Yeah. Because ultimately we're not going to be able to get legs around him every game. And sooner or later that will be exposed. And even so, at his best, are you really are you really compromising other parts of your team for what Fabinho gives you? Fabinho was the legs all those years. It's not as if yeah. you get you get legs around Pirlo when he's forty and you just let him play the piano for ninety minutes. It's not exactly. like that, you know. So you're protecting a player that's supposed to protect you. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know that's that's not conducive um, to to any sort of defensive solidity. Mm-hmm. So look, we we essentially find ourselves we signed two midfielders in um, Sebastian and McAllister. We're happy. Okay, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, we're pretty happy with that. Um, we have Thiago, who's just back from hip operation. We don't even know if he's going to see preseason. We have Bacetic, who is just back from a long-term injury and is like four. And it, it, we don't know if he's going to see preseason. Yeah. And we have Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones. Jones stepped up at the end of last year, 10 games. It's only 10 games, granted. I'm not going to go into my thoughts on Curtis Jones, but he'll definitely win the Ballon d'Or. Um, but it's a small sample size. Um, the boy's definitely got talent. Whether he can translate that into consistent performances over 20, 30, 40, 50 games a season, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and he's just come back from a, a full international tournament, albeit, albeit a youth tournament. And Harvey Elliott, who's done the same. And... I don't really know what, what Harvey Elliott is because I don't see where he kind of fits into a 4-3-3 or, you know, the, if you want to call it the WM or the 3-2-2-3 mm. or whatever it is, the box midfield or whatever they're calling it these days. So, in my opinion, I don't know about you, Andy, but I think we need at least two, but probably three. My opinion before... Fabinho and Henderson were, were going, was we need one plus a replacement for anybody else who, who walks yeah. in the door. Yeah. Um, it comes back to that old thing. And I'll, I'm going to sound like an FSG apologist here, but you can't just do it as sort of like a numbers in, numbers out thing. And well, actually, you sort of can because Fabinho and Henderson, I think, are our highest appearance makers last season, which was, a, you know, a whole another issue in itself. Yeah, I think what you're saying is the two guys who brought in have more than replaced the three that have gone out. Absolutely. Yeah. And Milner. That's it. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's exactly what I'm saying. So, you know, last season we're in a midfield crisis and we still didn't touch really Chamberlain or Keita. Um, because they were crap, so it wasn't actually like a numbers issue, but a quality we had nine midfielders last season, and we, and we've brought in two quality midfielders as far as I can see. I think they'll only do one more. Actually, I, th- I think they will try and get away with this uh, with a Gakpo or with a Trent possibly. Um, I, I I do think I I can't see them signing four midfielders. I think I'm just hardwired to expect that from Liverpool. Could they sign two. Well, we say, like two on top of the two we have. Could they send two? Yeah. So could they send two more midfielders? I don't, I don't know who it would be. Okay. Well, let's. Because let me, I think. I have, well, I yes, re- this takes re- us on. So I've researched all the links, the tenuous links, tenuous links. And ultimately, if we do sign anybody in midfield, it'll probably be none of these people. 
yeah, you know, a la Sabosai that it just yeah. came out of the blue. Yeah, Fabinho yeah. just came out of the blue, if you yeah. remember, you know. So we have Gravenberch. So am I um, giving this a? You want me to? Rate okay, this? Yes. Well, let's, let's let's do this. I will. Um, let's say a yeah. Say yes, you want them. No, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. So Gravenberch. Yes. I like. I'll take him. You know. You'll take him as a body. I'll, I'll, I I might end up saying yes to all thirteen of these. As long okay. as it's not one of them's not Matthias Nunes, which you've ensured me it's not. It's not. Don't worry, it's fine. Um, I didn't want to trigger you. Gravenberch, Turam. Yeah. Kone. Yes. Barella. Yes. Phillips. Yes. Lavia. Yes, hundred percent. Absolutely. Love him. Do. Amrabat. No. Decure from Palace. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take him. Couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Don't even know if he's played a game of football. He only signed for them last year. Right. Uh, Chiumeni, which is... Yes, but it's not going to happen. No. Uh, Paulinho? I've never really seen him. From Fulham? Yeah, no, I, I know what happens. People say he's good. I don't really know yeah. either. Fine, yes, I'll take him. And then uh, Florentino Luis? From I've Denver. never heard of him. So get him in. Fuck it. Fuck it, right. And then the this is never going to happen. Yeah, people are talking about it. But oh my god, how excited would I be, Marco Verratti? Verratti, yeah, he'd take him all day long. I've heard Kimmich as well. Yeah, Kimmich and Goretzka. Yeah, Kimmich, 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 Kimmich. Oh, Kimmich just, oh my god, stop it. Um, okay, so sorry, hold on just a second. <coughs> <coughs> Maybe I can't be our set in that. Yeah, my meat's not working. Let's not worry about it. So, uh, so you know what? I'll say no to Polina just because I've said yes to everyone. And I'm all right, not, fine. Not that let's say no to Calvin Phillips as well because let's be honest. Yeah, fine. We don't really want a city cast off. If he's not yeah. good enough for city, he's not good enough for us. Well, yeah, sort of hurt. How about story yeah. storage and stuff? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, so, um, let's assume we do one. Ready to slot in, and one that's we're going to have to put in. Yeah, as Dave Caron would say, into the 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 Klopp um, laboratory. Yeah. So, Verratti, Gravenberch, Tram, Kone, Barella, Lavia, De Cure, and Luis. Yeah, well, obviously, obviously, you know, Verratti would be one of those, but I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna Verratti pick anything. Thirty. Yeah, but I'm not going to... And smokes like 40 a day. Yeah. But... And he's tiny. Yeah, he is. No, no listen, he, but, but, you know, he's he's 100%. We'll take him all day long. Forget all that. Like, he's he's brilliant. Um, But of the realistic ones, I think I would like Lavi and Gravenberch. I think, that, I think I'd really shake hands on that. I think Lavi, people are talking about him as if... You know, he's this kid who's going to need a transition season. I, I think I've been quite vocal in the chats and on Twitter and stuff. I think he's ready to, to come straight in. I think he's at that level. He's massively impressed me every time he's, he's what? Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, he's 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 at that level for me. Anytime I've watched Southampton, um, I think he has, he is, he's just been the best player on the pitch every time I've seen him. I think his levels that he that he keeps that, that he keeps 
coming to in these games. He he, he reminds me very much of a player, uh, like he reminds me very much of peak, you know, Henderson, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, kind of like all the traits that they have rolled into one. He's obviously not at that level yet, but that's the style of player he reminds me of. He gets about the pitch, he hammers into tackles, he shields the ball really well, he's strong. Um, he can receive it in the sex. I, I just think I just think he's absolutely super. I can't believe for the life of me that Man City let him go. Um, so yeah, and, but and they I, can I, afford to. They, they can, and, and they and, do have the buyback clause and the sell on clause. I, th- I think the issue that you have in the in the market for the sixes is I don't think there's any available that are actually world class and are ready to come back in um, and slot into our team. So I think you do just have to buy the next one. You know, you have to buy the one who you're going to make into that player, and I think that is Lavia. Um, and I think on Gravity, though, Andy, I think I think the six, I think the six is kind of becoming a it, six is kind of what the nine was ten years ago. Yeah, where it's not actually a pure out and out six anymore. Yeah, it's not a Busquets. No, it's not, it's not a Macaulay. It's not a, a Fabinho or a, a whatever. There is more to that mm-hmm. position now. It's more, it's more uh, flexible. It's more variable. Um, there's more transition between you know positions on that pitch. Like you see what Rodri does. Yeah, Rodri doesn't play a six. Yeah, you might yeah. call him a six, but he doesn't play a six. No, he floats into the eight. He gets into the. He gets up to the edge of the box. He's shooting from you know 20, 25 yards out. So yeah. this position, it's not necessarily a pure, as they used to call, send me a DM, send yeah. me a DM. It's yeah. not that anymore. Yeah. And I can imagine that, you know, if you look at a Graven Birch who hasn't really played a six, yeah. or a two or a Taram who's not really a six. Yeah. For me, it's potentially you're looking at the sort of Wijnaldum sign in here that you identify the strengths and skill set in a particular player. You want to play in that area of the pitch, but you're not just a stopper. Mm-hmm. You're not just somebody who's going to win the ball and give it five yards. That's not what this player does anymore. Yeah. So that, I think, opens up options as opposed to us. Look, it's, it's not like a centre-half. It's not like there's a you know a huge void in world-class centre-halves as there is, yeah. which is why your man, Guardiola, or whatever he's called, Mm-hmm. They're turning down what 80, 90 million for him from City. Yeah. I think this is a far more varied position than it maybe was five or six years ago. And, and the other thing as well, like you mentioned, some of those players there, you haven't played in that position before. We've seen countless stories of Klopp turning turning players into midfielders or turning eights into sixes and turning sixes into eights and into tens and this, that, and the other. You know, when Alden's obviously the, the, the prime example of it, who's playing left wing basically all season for Newcastle, he comes in and he's he, he, he becomes like a, a sort of conservative safe midfielder for us. Um, you know, I mentioned Lavi there, and I just he think signed as a ten. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he never played in this, and it's one of those. And I'm not sure whether he has a plan for them when he brings them in, or whether it's just it's something he does when he sees in training. Like I don't know if he brought Gakpo in to actually play down the center, or if he stumbled across it. Um, but you know, there's there's players like that that, that can do that, and just Gravenberch is the other one, just purely because I've seen him a couple of times and been really impressed with him. Um, and you know, especially in the era of Twitter and constant analysis over every single thing you do, young players just don't get the time, and they don't get to be crap for a year anymore. Yeah, like 
and every every player is crap for a year when they're coming through and they're struggling a little bit. Um, and just the level that Gravenberts reached in some of the games in I think Euro twenty twenty, where he was playing for the Netherlands, and I think he plays against us uh, for Ajax in the COVID season, and just just always kind of stood out. And you know, was that big player, big, strong, powerful, can bring the ball forward um, at pace, and always just felt that he would he would suit us well. Don't know how he's played for for Bayern Munich this year. By all accounts, it doesn't sound like very good because he is available on the cheap and you know they're willing they seemingly willing to get to give up on him after a year. But you know, there's a reason there's Bayern a couple Munich, of other players for Bayern Munich there that are apparently going as well. But there's a reason Bayern Munich signed him as well. Bayern Munich don't sign mugs for their midfield. Um and you know maybe this is just like a little bit of arbitrage in the market where we can we can just steal a player for a little bit cheaper than than what we can. So yeah, just just based on what I've seen, who would your two be if you were if you're picking for that list then? Barella. Well, of because course, I just love him. He's not going to go. I know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, there is there's an argument about um, Inter are not financially sound at the moment. Okay. I think there is a huge appetite to sign Lukaku on a permanent basis. Um, and I think that they're looking at a position where they do need a bit of a rebuild because they have an aging squad. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it looks to be the case where it will be one of him or Lissandro Martinez that needs to be sold in order to facilitate that. Yeah. So... I think that might be your way home with Barella. Now, is he exactly the same player as Saboslai? Are you just buying the same player? I'm kind of okay with that because two everywhere is great. Um, can you repurpose him? Can you repurpose Saboslai? I don't know. Um, and the other one would be Verratti. They're, they're the two. Oh, yeah, they're, they're the, the two, two if you can get they're them. They're the two stellar. They're the two stellar signings, okay? Mm-hmm. That, out of those names... Or like realistically, to just bring me Joshua Kimmich, bring me yeah. him, bring me him, wrap him up on a red Liverpool shirt, wheel him out, and just let me watch him because that's like that's Thiago, but like three years younger. Yeah, that's what yeah. you're doing with that. Yeah. So yeah, I I think we do two midfielders. I think we probably need a centre half as well. The the Colwell thing is weird because yeah, we love him, don't we? We love him, but. It's it, the bizarre scenario here is Brighton almost seem to have the upper hand, right? Because they're leveraging um, Chelsea's interest in Saicedo. Yeah. To try and make that transfer work for them, and let's let's be honest, we're not close to being in in the game for Saicedo, are we? No. Not with that money. That's Declan Rice money you're talking there. Yeah, as much as much as I would love him, like as well, he's you know he is a fantastic player and would fit us perfectly. I, I actually don't think he's... I don't think Lavi is that far off him. I genuinely don't. All right. Well, let's see. We've just recouped 50-something million pounds in, in transfer fees and probably knocked 400 grand off the wage bill. So, you know... Oh, at least, yeah. Chamberlain was some big money. No, I, I, like, I literally just mean from those oh, two. Oh, from those two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're probably talking... You're probably talking... Twice that off the wage bill, eight hundred yeah, grand, about a million off the wage bill. A week, a week up. So you're you're maybe talking 
40, 50 million pound a year. And McAllister and Savoslayer are under, under 100 grand a week, aren't oh, they? Like 60 or 70, yeah. 60 and 70, I think. Yeah. So, you know, there there is there are options there. I think if you, to be really, really cheesy, if you've ever watched the film Moneyball, and at the, at the start when Brad Pitt's having that conversation with, what do you call that wee dick? Uh, the, the, the wee computer nerd. Yeah, what do you, what's his actual name? I still know. I can't yeah. remember now. Yeah. Anyway, and he said that the, the couple of guys or the three guys that they'd traded said it opens up all kinds of possibilities for this baseball club. And I think this opens up all kinds of possibilities. We just need to do what we're what we used to be good at. Jonah Hill. Smart. Jonah Hill, thank you. Yes. Just be clever and smart and surgical and not reactive. People that fit using the likes of, um, isn't it, what do you call it, Mike Gordon back? Yeah. Um, using that experience as to what has worked in the past and trying to leverage that into capitalizing on this opportunity. Okay, so we'll see where we end up with that. We'll just wrap it up with the friendly. Yeah. Weird kind of. Two 11s formations where players were playing. We don't need to really get into it too much because it's kind of arbitrary given our our um, limitations of options in, in the midfield space. But a couple of bright spots, Andy. What did you like about it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Enjoy seeing them back in action. I always actually quite enjoy preseason games. I remember days where I was derided for taking anything from preseason games or well, you should take you know, nothing from them but they're fun but even I? watching them people were like why are you watching them and now people are like analyzing clips from inside training and preseason that's how much content there is available now but um I, you know i i enjoyed it i think a couple of interesting things first of all is how connor bradley plays because trent alexander Arnold doesn't play as he's playing last season he plays as the actual number six he was the fabinho in that game and you know me and you can attest to having watched northern ireland for our sins that the best way to get connor bradley as a the if you're wanting to get the best out of connor bradley as a right back you're not playing him as the inverted inverted right back he's high and wide he's up and down he's crashing into tackles he's all energy um and certainly i haven't watched simicast the last very much he's very much what you want on the left-hand side from an Andy Robertson sort player. That's yep. what you're looking for. And that's yep. what he'll give you. And and that is what he'll give you. Um, at the same time, I don't think we're going to see an awful lot of Simicas second half, playing in that exact same role. But what it does tell you is that is the formation that we're going for. And, you know, when I... I always had that little bit of a concern with, um, with, the, with the Trent thing, that kind of Trent's the only player on our team who can actually play this role effectively. What happens if he's out for six weeks, which he has right. been before? He's a single point of failure. I've said this before. And 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 so so what I was thinking was kind of like, well, okay, if we're playing Connor Bradley there, maybe that's just like something a little bit different that we can do and we can kind of flick between the, the, the two formations. And I think that's been so important because if you think of like the two really bad seasons we've had recently, not really bad comparatively, but the COVID season, it takes us so long to switch things up and we eventually drop the line right the way back and abandon some principles and we win the games that we need to win. This season, we stick with it. We stick with a system we're doing over and over and over and over and over again. We finally do something different with Trent in the midfield. It works. We nearly win the games we want to win. 
when things are going wrong for us, I, I do think we're a little bit slow to adapt. So I actually thought it's no bad thing if, you know, when Trent's here, we play this way. But also, if Conor Bradley's playing, we're just going to play him as a, a normal right back and we can switch things up and keep teams guessing, not be predictable. Yeah, um, and that might mean you do something slightly different on the right-hand side of midfield to accommodate that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, but it does seem like they're going to stick to this and fingers crossed because it's worked for us so far. We've played well um, in the back end of last season. I thought we, we looked we looked good systemically um, the other night. I think one of the goals does come from uh, the left back being caught second half, but it's like actually a really good quick bit of play. Um, yeah, it's, it, but it's it's the last goal where, yeah, he gives the ball away and McAllister capitalises yeah. again. And we'll, No, we'll just... I'm, I'm, I mean, sorry, I mean, I mean their goal. Uh, oh, their goal, Simicus uh, goes for a fucking... He, he does, but he's got to be in that position. And if if you get a little bit of space in the midfield and you knock it over the top and you do it effectively, it, there's, there's, it's just it's just the drawback of information. Every, every formation has drawbacks. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly accomplished finish, let's be honest. No, I'm, yeah, definitely. Um, and But yeah, only other thing I'd like specifically want to, to know, I mean, the young man McConnell, I'd never heard of, I think probably deserves a mention because I thought he played really well. Um, but just another thing that stuck out for me, I know you'll love this because I know you absolutely love him, but uh, Jota was just a different level of sharpness, I thought. Um, and I had to look back, I think I actually maybe asked in the chat, but I don't think he gets the last preseason. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. the, pre- the preseason before that, I think he's always away in international duty or he's always doing he something. The last preseason, he comes in, then he gets injured. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, he hasn't had a preseason behind him. Didn't look particularly sharp at times last season. It's fair to say, you know, really struggled for for quite it's a while. Probably five or six games, and I think the game at Leeds was kind of the turning point for him. Yeah, where he's crap, but he scores two goals. Yeah, so, so you know, we I was starting to worry is Jota. Is he quite the player that we we actually signed? You know, when he came in, he was actually like scored at the rate of like the Torres and Suarez and Sturridge and all scored. Andy, he has a song. Like that's not normal for someone yeah. who you feel is essentially a secondary forward. Yeah, and and we love him, and we like we love how tenacious he is, and he's he 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 wears his heart in his sleeve, and he's so passionate, and he told the Leicester fans to fuck off after they were Tory bastards all night, and you know we just love all that. Um, but as I say, a different level, a different level of sharpness. He looks like a guy who's had a preseason behind him. And I was sort of thinking, you know, I guess Cody Gakpo all day long will play that centre midfield or they'll play that central role. It could still be a lot of people talking about Nunez. I always say I prefer John off the left rather than through the centre, especially recently. Like ever since, obviously, when he first comes in, he plays number nine. He's brilliant, but ever since that, I've preferred him off the left. But you know, if he's if he's at that level that he was the other night, um, then we could. You, that's a that's a real headache. And you know, Luis Diaz has not shown has not shown that he's able to come back from this injury yet. He might may still do. And if he can reach those levels, he was up for his injury a hundred percent. But right now, wherever it is, John is definitely in our best 11. And I know you're going to agree. Totally. And I think, you know, Diaz is a wonderful player to watch. Um, and he is kind of our Jack Grealish where he will commit players and create space yeah. and draw, draw players, players to him. That's not necessarily John's game. He's no. far more direct. We shouldn't, we should, People should not judge Diaz the same way potentially they judged Jota. I agree, yeah. Where he was basically written off and people were saying, Sean. like literally three, four months ago, there were massive shouts for selling to Newcastle for 40 million, which was absolutely wild. Yeah. His first, he obviously finishes the season really strongly. 
the winner against Spurs is I saw him take the ball and I knew it was him yeah. in that area. And it's the last minute and it's three each and you've thrown the game away. And I wasn't excited because I was just totally calm because I just knew he was going to stick it in the net. Yeah. And even his celebration where he he jogs and sits yeah. down and does his little PlayStation thing. Yeah. Because he himself knew, I'm going to score this. That's a difficult finish as well. Like, it's quite wide. Totally. The goal, and, and this is the thing for me, Beryl uh, makes this comparison often, and I totally agree with him, but the goal, his first goal the other night, it, his little spin outside of the foot layoff. Yeah. He ghosts into the space. He actually gives the defender a little bump yeah. to give him some space. The way he takes the ball, beats the man, and his little kind of unorthodox deft, deft finish yeah. is so Luis Suarez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suarez against Newcastle, isn't it? it, it it's just so... It's almost clumsy yeah. in how it's done, do you know? But every um, single touch had to be perfect because he had no margin for error there. Every, every single, single touch in every that, part. And I think that. this is the thing about Jota. Every single touch has purpose. Yeah. There's nothing in there for aesthetics or for flash. Yeah. The antithesis is Luis Diaz. Yeah, jumping, true. Jumping and re- controlling the ball, Rabona style in midair. Jota's not going to do that. No. He's going to take the ball down. He's going to run through somebody yeah. and ram yeah. it into the net. There was one as well, just like one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. Uh, I think it's the wee lad Kumas puts a, a through ball. And it's a bit of a nothing through ball, but Jota just bulldozes. The penalty doesn't them. get it. Choose which one you want to give the penalty against because both of them found him in the box, quite obviously. It's a bit um, like that one he didn't get against Spurs that time. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, down at Spurs, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, he had no right to get on the end of that. And like the caveats, as we can as we can caveat everything with in preseason, like the level of the opposition we're playing against, you know, uh Carl's Ruhr or if they if you put them in the Premier League next year, they finish bottom, they finish bottom by quite a distance. So, you know, but it's it it was in down it it was like um the epitome of, of what Jot is, the fact that he actually made something of that and just bulldozed through the middle of them, as you say, no flashiness. No sort of cute run. It's just there's there's where the ball's going. And I'm just gonna get my head down. I'm gonna run. And you know, he's he, he's probably not one of the quickest in our team over like 50, 60 yards, but he has got that little explosive burst of pace that Manny always had, even when he lost his his pace over 60, 70 yards. And I think that that's so important because that's what Suarez had as well. The first five yards or the first two yards, they're they're the difference makers, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um I remember Suarez against Everton, like the slowest, right. the slowest run on goal. <laughs> yeah. He ran 50 yards at about I think 13. Phil Jagielka caught up with him. Honestly, he ran 50 yards about 13 miles an hour and still yeah, managed yeah. to roll it into the bottom corner. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, Gakpo, you're the president of the Cody Gakpo fan club. Yep. His goal is beautiful. The knockdown from Jota again. It seems to be a little bit of a relationship building it's up. It's a great knockdown, two. by the way. Yeah. And, you know, he makes that goal. Gakpo replays a compliment for the, for the next goal, yeah. and the layoff from Gakpo is it, like it. It has to be in. It's perfect. It's right yeah. into his stride. But there seem people talked about the the Salah Nunez relationship, but this seems to be very very you know natural to those two at the minute. 
I, I think so, and I hope so. And, and Gakpo is like the, the quintessentially Dutch player of finding the space where there's no space to be had. And if he can find the space for Jota, then Jota, you know, Jota only needs half a yard um, and he can be effective. And you know, I, I actually agree with what you say. I want Cody Gakpo to be the centre forward for Liverpool. I think he is your Firmino, who's actually a little bit bigger and a little bit quicker. Um, you know, some of the goals he scores are very Firmino-esque, like that one down at Southampton where he just taps it in at the back post. And those kind of unspectacular goals that Firmino always scored, but nobody else was able to get on the end of them as often as Firmino did. Like when people on Twitter say, say oh, it's, it's a tap-in, it's not impressive. Well, why is, why is everyone not scoring them then? And, you know, it's it's intelligence. Like, if you listen to like Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, they would say, those are the goals I loved. Yeah. Because that was about, that wasn't about skill, that was about my positional awareness and intelligent exactly. mind movement and right, that's right place right time people yeah and like Firmino didn't actually score that many amazing goals for Liverpool there's a few that stand out like really really good finishes but a lot of Firmino's goals are like tap-ins or finishing off the move and Gakpo's doing the same um and you know yeah I, I do want to be the center forward as well but I do think there's something in this constant persistence with putting him in putting him into the midfield he does it at the Bernabeu and he does really well he does it against Villa home uh, last day, sorry, uh, last home game of the season, he does uh, he does Gakpo in the midfield, and he does it again there. Um, and you know, realistically, if, if you know, if you think about it, Nunez plays first. Uh, Nunez plays up front first half, not very well. We'll not get stuck into him. Um, and Jota plays up front second half. So, in a preseason game, if if Cody Gakpo is your number nine, you're going to play him there every time. Are you really? Are you going to give him zero minutes there in your first preseason game? I don't know how much we can or can't read into it, um, but I do think there, there's something in it and what it does give us. And I think especially against like a bottom half team at home, for example, there's four, there's at least four players on the pitch there who can who can get a goal quite easily and are quite capable of getting goals. And yeah, you know, Gakpo drifts into that position and it is a good finish, um, but it's another player in the midfield. And he's always, Jurgen Klopp's always flirted with four forwards, but he's never really stuck with it. Like he's always no, going I back think, to his four I three three. Was, I think he's been forced into it in occasions. But I, think, um, I but I think I think at times he you know he, he he wanted to do it, and I wonder could like could Gakpo kind of be that in between the four two four and the four three three in that in that position sometimes, kind of like I suppose the way Coutinho played when when we played all four of them. And, and Klopp did use Firmino in that way on occasion as well. Occasionally, he, yeah. And occasionally we dropped him a little bit deeper, but. I think I've heard Jack Poe be interviewed where he has specifically said that, yeah, I'm a centre forward now. And I right, didn't okay. think I could be a centre forward, but I'm really enjoying um, how I'm adapting to this position. And I think this is like the way forward for me. Yeah. So uh, based on that, I can only imagine that Klopp has said to him, this this is what I'm going to use you for. Yeah. Um, so, and again, I think it's it's a bit Trent where he's he's hamstrung by his options. So mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's shoehorned Trent in there. Trent's not going to play six. Let's be honest, he's not. You know, um, if Trent's going to play anywhere in midfield, it's going to be that inverted role. Or if you're going to put him anywhere, it's what Jordan Henderson used to do really well. That's where you really want Trent Alexander-Arnold. And mm-hmm. if you're playing midfield, yeah. yeah. So right. I, I think this is that pole just basically filling a gap because of the options. But yeah, we'll see. Um, okay, Andy, thanks. No, thank Enjoyed you. that? Enjoyed it as well. Any final thoughts on the friendly before we let you go? No, I think I covered everything. Okay, wonderful. Um, all right. 
folks. Thanks for joining us, all four of you. It's been a pleasure, as always. Um, and until we sign someone else, Marco Vradin, Nick Orbrella, uh, we will love you. Fuck off. Uh, we will see you next time. Uh, up the need to sign six more players, Reds. <laughs>